Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part two of episode number 35 and 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So first, I'd like to welcome all of you to part two of episode number 35 of my 60 Music Podcast, the Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? I'm going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 23-year-old songwriter slash producer, um, but I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd, and at each week with this podcast, I take one song by one artist from the 60s, and first talk about my opinion on the song and why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, and then do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song, which will include the chords, melody, lyrics. And the second part of the show, I dig deep into the history behind the track. I talk, in that part of the show, I talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, who are the musicians on the track, um, what studio the song was recorded at, who are the band members, uh, what labels released on, when it came out. All that is in the second part of this show. Now, before you move on with this week's episode of the podcast, um, I wanted to give you guys two quick updates. One, I reached out to one of the people that um, I have, I could potentially interview for this podcast, and I haven't heard back from him yet. I called him, left him a voicemail, and I emailed him. Haven't heard back from him yet, but I'll let you guys know as soon as I hear from him um, and, when, and when that interview will happen. Um, he is on the East Coast, so it will definitely be an over-the-phone interview. I just need to hear back from him and confirm that he actually wants to do it. Um, so I'll let you guys know as soon as it happens. And yeah, I'll also, I want to give you guys I want to give you guys my honest opinion about the Mary Wilson show that I saw um, last weekend. Because, well, first of all, I mean, I was honestly pretty disappointed. Mainly because she only did two Supreme songs. And that was actually one of the first times that I saw an artist from this specific era, because I've seen a lot of artists from the 60s. I mean, I've been to a lot of shows, you know, where I, where I see artists I look up to and grew up listening to, and nine times out of ten, they always play their hits. I mean, you know, they obviously assume that the people that come and see them, they're going to, you know, they need, they need, you're going to give them what they want, right? And they're going to want to hear the hits. But this time was a little bit different. This time... She only did two Supreme songs, and the rest were just jazz standards. And honestly, I just felt like, did I really just pay thirty nine dollars to for to see the one of the original members of this group that had a million hits only do jazz standards, only do a couple of hits? I mean, I don't know. It was just it was very disappointing for me. I really wish she did more of her hits that she did with the Supremes, and and she also like the two songs she did do by the supreme she messed up on both of them <laughs> you know so that was honestly very disappointing for me but i do think it was worth it because there were some really cool people there i met eddie holland of holland dozier holland that was so awesome that was unfucking believable i was like oh my god i can't believe i just met the guy that co-wrote and produced all those supremes and four top sets it was un fucking believable let me tell you right now and Frida Payne was there too and that was really cool because 
I always remember hearing Band and Gold on Kareth 101. It was a huge hit for her, you know, and it was just awesome getting to... And I asked her, like, what studio the song was recorded at, and she told me the answer to that, and that was really cool, too. And uh, it's funny, because I was talking to her, and she was trying to remember who played that electric sitar on that record, and I actually remembered... Yeah, I, I knew who it was, and, you know, and she confirmed it to me, and that was, like, that was really cool, because that's a very distinctive part of that specific record. And, yeah, so... um that that was how my experience went with that show. I did get the the e- the email and phone number of Hetty Holland's manager who was there as well. So he might be another person I could potentially interview for this podcast. I'll reach out to him one of these days. Um, I just want to hear back from the one guy I I, I started typing up the interview for. But yeah, so that's how my experience with Mary Wilson, uh, the Mary Wilson show went. I I have another show in March that I'm going to. And I'm very, very excited for this one. And I know that the artist I'm going to see is going to do a lot of hits, of their hits. So I'll like definitely let you guys know how I thought of the next concert I'm going to because I'm really, really excited for it. But moving on, let's talk about the history behind last week's band, which is The Left Bank, and also the history behind the song Walk Away Renee. Because again, this is one of those bands that unfortunately fell apart as quickly as they got together. And you'll notice that with a lot of these groups from the 60s that only had a handful or one or two hits. They had their 15 minutes of fame, but then things quickly changed for them. And problems for the group quickly presented themselves to the, to the band. And the next thing you know, the band's not together anymore. As unfortunate, as shitty as this is... As that is, one must keep in mind that a career in the music industry usually isn't something that will last you for a very long time. And if you're lucky, you can be doing it until you're in your 60s, you know. But uh, things are always changing, and when that happens, it's hard to keep things going for more than two to three years. Especially when you're dealing with other people and their circumstances. And plus, the music industry has a long history of shady people taking advantage of other people who don't really know that much about the business end of music. Most of these people were the heads of record labels and publishing companies. Um, and that's a lo- that still happens somewhat to this day, but things have definitely gotten a lot better since like the 2000s and 90s and 80s and before that. But um, well, that's a whole nother story for a whole nother podcast episode. Moving on, so the main thing that made the Left Bank so unique as a group was the fact that they occupied a super specific niche back then that nobody could really compete against. They invented a genre of music known as Baroque Pop. And I know you're probably wondering, Sam, what the heck is Baroque Pop? Well, I'm going to explain to you exactly what Baroque Pop is right now. You see, it was a subgenre of pop music that was heavily influenced by classical music. In fact, the best way to describe Baroque Pop to you is... Pop songs with classical instrumentation, meaning pop songs with the standard pop song structures, but with classical instrumentation, such as piano and strings, or harpsichord and strings. But aside from inventing a genre of music, the, the band was plagued with many issues right from the very beginning, and one of them is that most of the core original members are not very talented musicians. And while we're at it, let's talk. Let's take a look at who were the core musicians of this band, Left Bank, and where they came from originally. See, the band originated in New York City, and the band at the time consisted of bass player Tom Finn, drummer George Cameron, and lead vocalist Steve Martin Carroll, and Michael Brown, 
the band's principal songwriter on harpsichord and piano. The band also originally went through two lead guitar players, Jeff Winfield and Rick Brandt. Michael Brown's real name was Michael Lukowski, and he was the son of a famous New York-based arranger-slash-string player-slash-contractor, Harry Lukowski. Um, Harry Lukowski was a first-call-string contractor who brought in the string players to any New York-based session and wrote out the charts for all of them for the session. I mean, he's worked with various producers from Burt Bacharach to Lieber and Stoller to Bob Crew to Hugo and Luigi. I mean, this guy was just everywhere. I mean, he knew all the string players in New York, and he knew where to find them, and he knew who were the best ones were and who and who to get on a specific session. And he was the one that was responsible for bringing in the string players for a lot of these sessions and, you know, just making them sign the contract and also making sure that they understood what the arrangements looked like from the charts written out by the music copyist who worked with the arranger on the session. Um, but his first effort as a producer was producing uh, the band that his son was in, which was called The Left Bank. Now, at the time, the group members of the band, George Cameron and Tom Finn, and Steve Martin Carroll were all 16 when they were in the band. And really, the band formed in Greenwich Village, which was a little suburb of New York City where a lot of folk musicians came out of, such as Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Bob Dylan. It was a guy named Mick Wexler who introduced Tom Finn and George Cameron and Steve Carroll to Harry Lukowski. And the group also went on tour with Mick, but Mick was also a liar and told other people he was Mick Jagger, even though he really wasn't. But he was the one who introduced the first half of the band to what would become the group's main producer. And by the way, Tom, Tom Finn was in a group called the Magic Plants, and they all joined the Magic Plants and got introduced to, Her to Harry Lukowski by the leader of that group, the Magic Plants, Mick Wexler. Um, Harry also produced the Magic Plants, and they auditioned for Harry Lukowski and failed their initial first audition with him. But it was then that they met songwriter-slash-keyword player Michael Brown, who got his name because his dad used to nickname uh, a certain musician Hash Brown, and he grew to liking the rest of the band, and thus the group The Left Bank was formed. I mean, he basically thought that, you know, Michael Lukowski didn't sound like more of a professional, you know, branding name so they changed it to michael brown see once the group got together steve and george got together to wrote some songs and michael brown started to come up with some stuff as well but the real conflict of the group laid with incapabilities uh the group members had with being able to play really well none of them could play that well at all in fact there was one member of the group that could play really well and he was the only one that could really was a really talented musician and that was michael brown and his classical piano playing on the records you know you know they would go on to help define the group's signature sound but since he was so talented and you know he was able to play so well you know that definitely threw off a lot of the other musicians in the group but let me make something clear to you since none of the members of the band could play very well one of the band's first on the band's first single and their biggest hit, none of them played on played on the record except for Michael Brown. In fact, lead singer of the band hated Walkeray Renee, as it was written without him or the rest of the band, and it was a song written by Michael Brown and his co-writing partner Tony Sampson and Bob Galili. And the fact that Michael took the reins as the creative force behind the band writing all the group's hit singles 
and the rest of the band members who left out of the creative question were one of the main reasons as to why the group broke up. And yeah, also, I believe like when when Walkway Renee was being finished, two of the members uh, tried to leave the group to go to California, but then Harry Lukowski, uh, their da- the, the dad uh, who produced the group, you know, caught wind of this and sent him back to New York. And this was all when Walkway Renee was being recorded, and I believe it was cut live to three tracks. So the only overdub they did was at least vocal. Now, a question you might have for me is regarding this week's song is who the heck was Renee... And was she a real person or just a made-up character by the band's principal songwriter? Well, you'll find out the answer to this question in just a moment. You see, Renee was in fact a real girl. Her name was Renee Flatten. And and we're now another question that I have is Renee Flatten and Michael Brown a couple? Now the answer to this question is definitely no. You see, Renee Flatten at the time was actually Tom Finn's girlfriend, and Michael Brown wrote a series of songs about her, and as if she were his girlfriend, but in reality, that was definitely not the case. In fact, Walk Away Renee was very much him saying, walk away from me because we are never going to be together as a couple. And Renee really wasn't interested in Michael at all, and she was only associated with the band for about a few weeks. In fact, um... Uh, Michael Brown has said in various interviews that, you know, the whole love that he had for Renee was very mythological and not necessarily real, but was very close to being something very real. In fact, she was in the studio when Michael Brown came in to lay down his harpsichord part in the record. He couldn't do it because the girl he wrote the song about was in the same room as she was in the control booth. You know, Michael Brown was in the studio laying down the harpsichord part and she was in the control booth just watching him do it. And his hands were shaking and he had to come in another day and, you know, to lay down the part when she wasn't there. And by the way, that part was, the, she was he played the harpsichord on the record. And since we're on the topic of the recording session for the song, the song was recorded at World United Studios in New York with a session produced by Harry Lukowski and uh, Steve and Bill Jerome. And by the way, Steve Jerome engineered the session. Now, the only member of the band to play on the song was Michael Brown playing the harpsichord because, like I said earlier, none of the actual members of the left band could play very well. So Michael's dad, Harry, hired studio musicians in place of the band. Now, the group of cats on Walkway Renee included Al Rogers on drums, John Abbott on bass, George Hirsch on guitar, and Harry Lukowski on strings, plus a bunch of other unnamed New York string players. I don't know who these people are, but I'm assuming they were, you know, the first call New York string guys that were on everybody's hit records back then. Now, if you're wondering who played that amazing woodwind instrument in the song's bridge, to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that question. And I'm not sure if one of the original Left Bank members could tell me you play that. Um, because at the time when they recorded Walkway or No, you got to keep in mind they were all teenagers, like 16 or 17 years old. And they were completely oblivious to the recording process. I mean, none of them knew how to engineer at all. You know, so that they probably didn't even get acquainted with the musicians that took their place as the band on the record. I mean... And Harry and his son, Michael, are long gone, so it's not like I'll be able to ask him those questions. And also, even though Michael Brown wrote the song's lyrics, he did not sing them. 
The lead vocals on this track were handled by Steve Martin Caro, whereas the background backup backup parts were done by George Cameron and Tom Vent. Now, the Left Bank weren't the only band from the 60s that got that kind of treatment where they weren't allowed to play on their own recordings. There were others bands that also suffered from that same fate, and we will talk about them within the course of this podcast. We've already talked about one of them, but we'll talk about some more soon. Now, before we wrap up this podcast, I want to make a quick recap on exactly what happened to this band after their first major hit. Because like I said earlier, as soon as their first major hit was on the charts and was coming down the charts, things started to go wrong for the group. After the group recorded their last hit, Pretty Ballerina, and it was on the charts and it was coming down the charts, Michael was determined to fire the principal members of the band, mainly because of their musical shortcomings as players. And by the way, I'm talking about George Cameron, Tom Thin, Steve Martin, Carroll. And that's exactly what happened. But then they came back after they were dissatisfied with the people they were replaced with, and they and that really just fucked up the whole band. Because after that, they can never really trust the band's principal songwriter who ultimately decided to fire the rest of the band. And this included George Cameron and Tom and Steve Martin Carroll and Tom Finn, and I believe the guitar player too, and replace the rest of the band with session musicians. In fact, for the next few singles after Walkway Renee and Pretty Ballerina, all the songs were released under the name The Left Bank, even though Michael was the only true member of The Left Bank on those records. And yes, they got a completely different lead singer to replace Steve Martin Carroll on those singles. And this resulted in litigation from the bandmates and cease and desist letters from the label that released the songs, and that ultimately led to the end of the group. Because then the label they was like, okay, we can't we can't promote these songs or get them play on the radio because you know they're not true left bank records. You know they're they're it's just Michael Brown and session musicians. We can't push these singles and you know we got to send cease and desist letters to make sure that the radio stations just don't play these songs because you know the, the you know michael brown's the only person on these singles and there's nobody else on the record and uh the person responsible for all this was actually the band's producer harry lakovsky who was ultimately found guilty of this because the sessions he produced without the principal members of the band and by the way with just his son michael brown being the only member of the left bank on these sessions, were non-union. So when the court found this out, they realized that the left bank was, in fact, uh, you know, the true members of the band, George Cameron, Tom Finn, and Steve Martin Carroll. And Harry was then let go as their producer because of this. But once they switched to a couple different producers, um, Artie Schroek and Paul Lika, to be exact, they couldn't get the same feel they can get with Harry Lukowski as their producer because Artie Shork was more of a pop guy and so was Paul Lika and they weren't really like super into classical music. Um, so the group broke up in late 1968 after those singles they recorded without Harry bombed and they can never hit the charts again after that. Now at this time, you know, Michael Brown, the, the guy that wrote all these songs, his, you know, his, uh, contributions as a member of the band, diminished and you know and also like years and years and years later they've gotten together a couple they gotten they then did some reunions a couple different times and there has still been talk about them reuniting again because 
George Cameron, Tom Finch, Steve Martin, Carol is still alive. But Michael Brown passed away in 2015. The guy that wrote the lyrics to Walk Away, Renee. And um, so, I mean, I'm not sure if... I mean, Steve Martin, Carol is the only guy in the group the lead singer that is a true original member everyone else is not in the band anymore but who knows if they're going to reunite again but you know it the left bank even though they only had a couple hits they had a very distinct and unique sound and you know even and even though their history was wasn't that great as a band you know the two songs hit singles they put out you know plus the albums they put out too are you know are just phenomenal i mean you know, very distinct and very unique, and they're just such a cool band. So that concludes part two of episode number 35 of my 60s music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams. Now, if you learned something about this, the left bank, and you learned some really cool facts and information about them that you did not know about this group at all, please email me at samltwilly at icloud.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at iHeartOldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net now eventually what I like to do with this podcast is get a sponsorship now I have a couple of different ideas for who I want who I'd want to reach out to for that but for right now I'm just trying to focus on you know building up my listenership for the show so that way I can you know uh, the, you know a sponsorship you know could be feasible for me because right now I'm just trying to build up my listenership for the show so that way I can potentially get sponsors um so yeah so um i'm sam williams and uh thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the podcast millennial throwback machine also this is the song walk away renee by left bank was an exact response to a friend of mine who made a request for me to do this song so if you guys want me to do another song you know that's like left bank walk away renee something a lot of people my age are super unfamiliar with you know, and 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 you want and you want me to do something like this? Just let me know. I mean, I just tell me the name of the song and the artist and why you want me to do it. And also, if if it's in that vein, just that super obscure one or two hit wonder, or something that didn't necessarily carry over to my generation, then please, you know, let me know. Okay, I'll I'll definitely do it as long as it's not something super obvious. You know, like a Jimi Hendrix song or a Beatles song. Okay, so um, I'm Sam Williams, and uh, thank you for joining me uh, for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please keep things groovy.